Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. You are listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Broadcasting to you from the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast, the third coast of Texas. The darkest truths from the darkest web need to be told. And you must listen to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Greetings everybody out there in dreamland, namaste and shalom, iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend, thank you all very much for tuning into another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Thank you all very much, listeners new and old, tuning into the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan, I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast of the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas, it's my pride and privilege to be doing so. Thank you all for supporting me, however you can. Remember, I always accept tips. All tips and proceeds go to the publication of this channel, um, all its avenues. I'm trying to get documentary length, um, you know, assignments finished and and, and um, get better equipment so that I can do real-time, you know, investigations like UFO hunting and provide a lot more original video. Of course, uh, the major investment currently is night vision. Um, trying to get something either infrared, um, a shot scope that I can put over my camera lens, or uh, even like a rangefinder or something that's that's thermal, um, or or a dedicated uh, infrared uh, camera itself, like a night vision camera itself, some kind of a capacity to do that. Uh, of course, these are extremely expensive for any other type of expense that this podcast has you know i'm not talking about getting a new laptop i'm getting a an actual serious rig for filming uh these extraterrestrial craft these top secret government craft so all tips and proceeds would be going to that in the near future as well as uh finishing up my actual homestead etc the better i am supported and the easier you know i can live throughout the day uh, the more I can put energy into the podcast, into um, not only the philosophizing, but the research, the networking that I feel um, has suffered greatly in the last three years, especially because of the massive amount of transition and work I'm still putting into, um, you know, creating my life here on this planet. Uh, while doing this project simultaneously, and I have put full-time work into the project, yes, um, but also, you know, it has been fly-by-night, it has been fly-by-wire, we have survived, and we are looking to thrive, so all proceeds will help go to that. Um, for the free way of supporting, for those who are also in tough times, I understand that completely. If you want a free option of supporting, it's like sharing and subscribing with the underline under share. Share underlined thrice, actually, in red. Share, share, share. Because if you share, that helps me get me across to other people who um, may potentially support me. Um, and for those people to share as well, 
you know, one friend tells two friends, two friends tell four friends, uh, you know, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, and he keeps going on and on. We're already an internationally ranked, charted, top 200 podcast um, in over 20 countries, and these are all over the world, mind you. This is in the Far East, to the Middle East, to uh, South America, you know, Australia, this is, you know, even some nations in Africa, which I find absolutely just thrilling. You know, I say like that, that's just, that's far more than I ever could have dreamed of for and hoped for and realistically even planned for. And that's just amazing to me that we've had so much success in such a short time. And it's all because of you. And I want to thank that. Well, thank you. I want, I want to actually always say that every episode. And that's why I always repeat this intro. Is because it's a way of re-emphasizing your importance to the podcast. The crucial element of this is you, the listener. You, the community person. You, the grassroots themselves. You have helped my channel exist. You are crucial to it. You are the reason why I do this. I am not just talking to myself. I am talking to you, the listener. Out there in dreamland. And thank you most sincerely for everything you have done and everything you will do. Those of you who have done anything at all know that you have done everything for me. Today we're going to be reading the newest drop in disclosure known as the Molecular Biologist UFO Disclosure, or the Molecular Biologist Spilling the Beans. This was posted on Reddit July 7th, 2023. Reddit July 7th, 2023. I have the entire document pulled up in front of me. I am going to read it to you. I am not going to add anything to it. Not going to take anything away from it. I can save my opinion to the very end, or I will interject what I believe is necessary to reinforce points or to explain things that are unclear. This is one of the first times I'm reading it. I've already read it before, but not to the point I memorized it. So we all know how reading out loud gets so you know forgive me ahead of time blame my last if I mess up any words or read anything with the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable okay aliens ask me anything and that's the user who support who um, posted this was actually permanently suspended from reddit after posting this the title is, From the late 2000s to mid-2010s, I worked as a molecular biologist for a national security contractor in a program to study exobiospheric organisms, parentheses, EBO. I will share with you a lot of information on this subject. Feel free to ask questions for, or ask for clarifications. This is under Discussions. Beginning. It seems like all my comments are being deleted. I will post answers at the end of the message. 
From the late 2000s to the mid-2010s, I worked as a molecular biologist for a national security contractor in a program to study exobiospheric organisms, parentheses, EBOs. The aim of the program was to elucidate the genome and proteome bases of these organisms. Although the study of OBCs has been going on for decades at other programs, the new high throughput DNA sequencing technologies of the late 90s unblocked stagnant research in this area. Since then, several breakthroughs have led to significant advances in our understanding of the genome and proteome of these beings. What we've learned so far has enabled us to outline some disconnected perspectives about our place in this universe. Briefly, we've discovered that the EBO genome is a chimera of genomes from our biosphere and from an unknown one. There are artificial, ephemeral, and disposable organisms created for a purpose that still partially eludes us. I'll be substantiating my statements in a brief introduction. The reason for disclosing these secrets is quite simple. I believe that every human being has the right to know the truth and to progress. Humanity needs to divest itself of certain institutions and organizations that will probably not survive these revelations in the long term. I'm aware that I'll have very little impact in this regard, but I still believe that small leaks are necessary to break the dam of misinformation on this subject. When the governments will eventually reveal these secrets, there will be undoubtedly a societal upheaval, but in my opinion, the longer we wait, the worse it will be. I choose to divulge what I know anonymously out of selfishness for the well-being of myself and my family. I'm aware that this diminishes the reach and credibility of my message, but it's the furthest I am willing to go. I choose this forum because it offers a good compromise between anonymity and popularity. In order to protect my anonymity, I will be purposely vague or even contradictory about any information that could identify me, date, education, role, etc. I'll even introduce red herrings on this respect. I want to make it clear that any information related to the subject of the research will not be treated in this way. Before going any further, please excuse me if you find it difficult to understand what I'm explaining. Some parts of my text are very technical. It's difficult to find the right balance between vulgarization and scientific explanation. I'll continue by talking about myself. What's the point of talking about me knowing that the information will necessarily be misleading? I simply want to introduce a perspective on this type of people who work here. Normal scientists. I have a PhD in molecular biology. I didn't actively seek to be part of this program. Rather, it was a stroke of luck that introduced me to one of the senior scientists. I met the person at a conference where I was presenting a poster on my PhD research. When I think back, I don't believe he was impressed by what I was presenting because it was quite frankly a project that wasn't going anywhere. I think it was rather the most important aspect of a professional life. The attitude and the ease in which you make connections. Shortly afterwards, I graduated and received a call from the person offering me a position. At that time, everything pointed in me working a regular laboratory. I did a series of three increasing suspicious interviews, each in different locations where my scientific background and knowledge became less and less relevant. The first was with two senior scientists, the second and third with people I've never seen again and who were obviously not interested in science. 
Sometimes after the interview, I was asked to go to a fourth location where what seemed like a corporate lawyer presented me with an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. He made sure not only to explain every detail, but also that I understood the consequences of not respecting it. The first employment weeks were by far the most memorable. Although I spent most of the time in a depressing archive room, it consists almost exclusively of reading about the subject of study and to get used, I get us up to speed. There is no secret Wikipedia or even a reference book to guide us. There are only dry reports, memos, presentations, procedures, and SOPs. These documents are almost exclusively about the biology of EBOs, but there are also a few that deal with other subjects such as their food, religion, or culture. There were no documents on their technology. As mentioned above, the aim of the project is to gain a better understanding of the EBO genome and proteome. To achieve this, a team of around 20 scientists, four senior scientists, and a director was involved. The scientists, like myself, had as their main responsibility to carry out the technical work. As each scientist had, to my knowledge, a PhD, we were all somewhat overqualified for what was ultimately a technician's job. The senior scientists, who make full use of their diplomas, had the task of designing the assays and had a supervisorial responsibility. They were also in charge of training new employees and sometimes even came in to do the technical work. The director, of course, was the person in charge of the dictated priorities and the senior scientist. He was rarely on site, and the few times he was, it was attend meetings. Other than the scientific staff, there were security guards working for one subcontractor or another. There were no support staff such as janitors or maintenance workers. Scientists were responsible for this kind of work. In addition, logistical constraints ensure that every scientist is capable of carrying out any technical activities. The laboratory itself is located in Fort Detrick, Maryland, and a building used for legitimate biomedical research. The clandestine operations are carried out in a restricted part of the basement, out of sight from regular workers. Contrary to what one might imagine, the biosafety level is not maximal for this type of research. Indeed, the lab containing EBO samples of derived cell cultures is BSL, uh, BSL-3. While the lab or essays are conducted are only BSL-2. The BSL-3 area of the facility includes a freezer room and a cell culture lab and is only accessible through an antechamber from the BSL-2 location. EBO carcasses are preserved in horizontal freezers at a temperature of 80 minus, or minus 80 degrees Celsius, nominal temperature, to maximize the preservation of these carcasses. They are preserved in vacuum bags and the air in the room is controlled to minimize humidity. There are only four bodies and none of them are complete. It's obvious that these creatures have died as a result of major trauma. I've never witnessed a motorcycle accident fatality, but it probably looks similar to this. It is acknowledged that there are more EBO carcasses at other locations. The cell culture laboratory, as detailed, or as name suggests, is where cell lines derived from EBOs are grown and related activities are performed. I'll talk in more detail about these specific cell lines later on. The BSL-2 part is mainly used for essays, immunochemistry, genetic engineering, aminocytochemistry, storage, etc. There's also a cell culture lab, but this is used for more traditional cell lines. Other than the labs, they are still amenities you could find in office. Note that the internet access is limited to senior staff and up. This is, however, an intranet for bioinformatics needs. On the subject of the biology of these beans, I'll start by discussing genetics then their gross anatomy, and finally their biological systems. 
for the sake of clarity, the information that I provide here is an aggregation of what I have observed and what I have read. I will make many comparisons with human anatomy because it is the most logical reference. Genetics. First, I'd like to discuss their genetics. Their genetics are like ours, based on DNA. This fact was very puzzling for me when I first learned about it. We imagine that these beings from an alternate biosphere would have genetics based on a completely foreign biochemical system, and surprisingly, this is not the case. Several conclusions can be drawn from this surprising revelation. The one that immediately comes to mind is that our biosphere and theirs share a common ancestry. They're eukaryotes, which means their cells have nuclei containing genetic material, which suggests that their biospheres would have been separate from ours sometimes after the appearance of this type of organism. The term exobiospheric organism is actually a misnomer, but as it has a historical term, it's still used. Their genetics are only based on the same genetic system, but they're also even compatible with our own cellular machinery. This means that you can take a human gene and insert it into an EBO cell, and that gene will be translated into protein. And this, of course, works in reverse with a human gene inserted into an EBO cell. There are important differences in post-translation modifications that will make the final protein non-functional, but I'll discuss these later. The genome consists of 16 circular chromosomes. You're probably familiar with the concept of intergenetic region or junk DNA. These are basically DNA sequences that you don't code for proteins. These are evolutionary residues, transposons, and inactive genes, and so on. To give you an idea, in humans, intergenetic regions represent approximately 99% of our genome. I'm aware that these sequences aren't completely useless. They can be used as histone anchors or buffers to protect coding DNA from radiation or even as alternative open reading frames, but that's rather peripheral. What's particularly striking about an EBO genome is that uniformity of these intergenetic regions. We see the same sequences repeated everywhere, and the distance in between genes is virtually the same throughout their quantity. A protein coding genes is even significantly lower than ours, probably due to genetic refinement, but also to biological processes that are absent in EBOs. The uniformity of these sequences is a major indictment or ind indication of the artificiality of these beings. There is no complex organism on Earth that has such elegance in its sequence. There is no evolutionary pressure that can lead to this kind of characteristic other than genetic engineering. Speaking of genetic engineering, following sequencing of their genomes, we notice a troubling and universal characteristic of the five inches of the regulatory sequence of each gene in which we call the tripalindromic region. The TPR are 134 BP sequences containing, as its name suggests, three palindromes in genetics, a palindrome is a DNA sequence that, when read in the same direction, gives the same sequence on both DNA strands. They serve both as a flag and as a binding site for proteins. The three palindromes in the TPR are distinct from one another and have theoretically been named SPTPR, MTPR, and 3TPR. The TPR is composed of five to three order of SPTPR, 12BP spacer, chromosomal name, SPTPR, or chromosomal address, 12BP spacer, MTPR, 12BP spacer, gene address, 12BP spacer, and 3TPR. 
The chromosomal address is composed of four BP and is identical in each TPR to the same chromosome, but distinct between each of the 16 chromosomes of the genome. The gene address is a 64 BP sequence that is unique for each gene in the whole genome. It's therefore understandable that TPR serves as a unique address not only for numerically identifying a gene, but also for identifying its chromosomal location. For those with only a basic knowledge of genetics, this is completely unheard of. No living thing in our biosphere has this kind of precise address in its genomics. Once again, the presence of TPR cannot be explained by evolutionary pressure, but only by genetic engineering on a genomic scale. TPR opens the door to several possibilities. One of them suggests that ABO geneticists can insert or remove a gene from a cell in a way that is far more targeted and efficient than our technology allows currently. No proteins have been identified in the EBO genome that interacts with the TPR. Rather, we believe that these proteins are exclusively targeted by external genetic engineering tools, probably used in the zygotic stage of embryonic development. The nature of these tools is unclear, but we definitely don't have anything like them. The probable absence of these proteins from the genome is a further indication of their artificiality. Given the high probability of artificiality in their genome and the apparent ease of modifying it with biomecular tools, it's not out of the question that there could be polymorphism between individuals depending on their role and function. In other words, an individual could be genetically designed to have characteristics that give it, to it an advantage in performing a given task, like soldier ants and a worker ants, and an anthill. Note that these previous statements are speculations. To my knowledge, only one individual genome has been sequenced. It can make a definitive statement on genetic variations between individuals. I've talked a lot about intergenetic regions, but now I'll briefly discuss intragenetic sequences. Briefly, because there's not a lot less to say despite its obvious importance. Much like ours, their genes have silencers, enhancers, promoters, 5 UTRs, exons, introns, 3 UTRs, etc., there are many gene analogs to ours, which is not surprising given the compatibility of our cellular machinery. What's disturbing is that some genes correspond directly, nucleotide by nucleotide, with known human genes or even some animal genes. For these genes, there doesn't seem to be an artificial refinement, but rather a crude copying and pasting. Well, they do, it's a nebulous and still subject conjecture. There are also many genes in which are not found in our biosphere whose role has not been identified. Finding the purpose of these novel genes is one of the aims of the program. I like to note, therefore, before going any further, that this is a heterogeneity of genes of known and unknown origins as an undeniable proof of the artificiality of these EBOs. To conclude with genetics, the mitochondrial genome, at the time I was working there, has not yet been sequenced. It's safe to assume that this genome would also be streamlined and possibly has some version of this address. Transcription and translation and protein expression. I briefly introduced the differences in post-translation modification between human and EBO. This is hardly a surprise as we often see the same thing between different terrestrial species. Obtaining a variable protein from a DNA sequence is a complex process involving hundreds of protein intermediates, each with a precise and essential role. A minor variation in this assembly line can be led to a functional irregularities in the final product, so it's not surprising that there are setbacks along the way when the first EBO gene transfection, or trans, yeah, transfection attempts failed 
to produce the desired functional protein in human cell lines. Fortunately for us, the work that I imagine to be another team of another site has led to the development of an EBO cell line named EP1G11, derived from the epithelial tissues. With this tool in our hands, we are able to transfect and overexpress proteins of interest in order to eventually purify and study them. For your information, we use a biological ballistics delivery system, aka gene gun, for our transfection needs because other, metho other methods are not very effective with cells of this line. For example, the viral vectors tested cannot be internalized by EP1G11, and lipofection is too lethal. EP1G11, like most eukaryotic, eukaryotic cell lines, enters a phase of exponential growth when exposed to fetal bovine serum. It's only half surprising that a cell line from such an exotic source should be insensitive to the growth factors presented in FBS. In my opinion, this can be explained by the addition of animal genes to the genome, such as growth receptors. Gross Anatomy There are morphological very similar to the gray aliens that are part of modern folklore. Their height is about 150 centimeters. They have two arms, two legs, and a head. Still, there are some notable differences. Skin. The gray skin is often described in folklore as in fact a biosynthetic film which likely serves to protect the EBO from hostile environment. It doesn't provide effective protection against temperature changes, but it does offer adequate protection against the passage of liquids. It's possible that this film confers other advantages, but my knowledge on the subject is limited. Under the gray film, the epidermis is rather white, and with the texture is very regular and without any hair. We do not see any defect other than the folds near the joints. It's described as greasy in one report, but that's something I've observed. But that's not something I've observed. Sorry, delay my last on that one. The same report states that a strong, lingering smell of burnt hair and ammonia is present when the film is removed. There are a lot of pores on the skin crossing from the epidermis gland in the hypodermis. These glands and pores are the terminal part of the excretory sudoforous system, which could explain the previously mentioned smell. Head. The head contains two large oversized eyes, two nostrils without protuberances, a narrow mouth without lips, and two ear canals without auricles. There is a mandible, but the musculature is vestigial. There are no teeth or tongue in the oral cavity. The nasal cavity, where the nostrils meet, is a compact and does not rise crani uh, cranially, but extends actually. There appears to be no equivalent to the olfactory bulb in the nasal cavity. The mouth leads directly to the esophagus and the nasal cavity to the trachea. The trachea and the esophagus do not communicate. Eye. Like the skin, the eyes are covered with a semi-transparent biosynthetic film that offers the same environmental protection while providing protection against certain wavelengths and light intensities. When the film is removed, their eyes suggest they have excellent night vision. It seems paradoxical to cover them with a semi-opaque film. Perhaps they only need to wear it in a bright environment. Their scleria is the same color as their skin, the iris is pale gray, and their pupil is black and oversized. The lens is rounder than a human, and their musculature is to adjust focus and more developed. On the retina, there are at least six types of cone cells. The unresponsiveness of each of these types of cones in a specific to a wavelength band and a minimum overlap within each other. The result is a broader visible spectrum. Ear. As mentioned, the outer ear has no 
auricle and the ear canal is unremarkable. The inner ear has all the characteristics of a typical vesticular and cochlear system. Although the curvature of the cochlea is more pronounced than a human, the probable results of the greater being hearing acuity for low frequencies inaudible to human ears. Brain. The brain is tetraspheric, i.e. composed to four major sections. The sections are separated by transverse longitudinal fissures and connected to the central lobe, which acts as a brainstem and cerebellum. The volume of the brain is around 20% superior to that of a man the same height. It has a much more pronounced level of gyrocation than an average human. Moreover, the ratio of glial cells to neurons is also slightly higher than a human's. It is a, important to mention the presence of nodules on the central lobe. Historical analysis of these structures reveals a kind of intricate biological circuitry. It is speculated that these nodules are essential to interact with their technology. Consequently, determining the proteomes of these structures is an absolute priority for the program. The neck is proportionally longer than that of a human, and at the same time relatively, relatively thin. As mentioned, the esophagus and trachea are separate. There are no vocal cords in this region. Sorry, I lost my place. Thorax. The musculature of the thorax is underdeveloped. Muscles equivalent to the pectorals major can be seen. We can also see the trapezius and deltoid muscles. The sternoceodomastoids are well-defined. The ribs and sternum are clearly visible. There are no nipples. Abdomen. The abdomen is wider than the thorax and bulges slightly forward. There is no navel. Pelvis. The pelvic bones are apparent. There are no genitals or anus. Hands and feet. The hands have four digits, including the opposable thumb on the medical side. They have no nails, and the texture of their fingerprints is composed of concentric circles. Fingers are proportionally much longer than in humans. Unlike humans, finger musculature is entirely intrinsic to the hand. In other words, the muscles used to move the fingers are not in the forearms, but entirely located in the hands. At first glance, the feet consist of just two digits. But a necropsy soon determined that each toe was made of two fused digits. The medical toe is marginally longer than the distal toe. The feet are relatively longer and narrow than in a human. Their musculature, however, is vestigial. The EBO's endoskeleton is very similar to ours, at least in terms of composition. There's collagen, hydrozapatite, but also copper oxide crystals where marrow would normally be found. The role of these crystals has not been established, but is not a crystallopathic condition. The blood cells in their myelad lineage and the equivalent of these creatures therefore mature in different locations than in humans, i.e. the thymus-like organ. As a transverse section of the bone reveals osteon and isteosotis. There appear to be few osteoblasts and no osteoclasts. This indicates that they are no longer growing and cannot absorb the minerals present or adapt mechanically to changes in posture. <sighs> Biological systems. Respiratory systems. Their cellular respiration is equivalent to ours. 
i.e. they need to oxidize organic components to produce energy. Their lungs have no reciprocating actions, but rather have a unidirectional flow of air similar to those seen in birds, which is more efficient than ours. It is speculated that this is a response to the brain's elevated metabolic needs. Vocalization is produced by vibration of the wall membrane at the junction between the two air sacs. The circulatory system of EBOs is rather analogous to ours. The heart is located in the mediastinum, but in a more medial position, directly beneath the sternum. The heart has two ventricles and two atria. There is an aorta, a pulmonary vein, a pulmonary artery, and a vena cava. Blood flowing to the preliminary capillaries via the pulmonary artery is pumped against the flow of air, maximizing gas exchange efficiency. The blood gas barrier is a relatively narrow in these capillaries, and at least compared to a human, these oxygen-rich blood is returned to the heart and then expelled into the aorta and the rest of the body before returning to the heart. The blood will pass through the hepatorenal organ, which, among other things, filters and controls osmotic pressure of the blood. The blood itself is also analogous to that of a human. However, the proportional of plasma is much higher. Albunum is similar proportion. Hormone levels are much lower. Metal ion levels are much higher, particularly copper, and glucose levels are significantly higher. The color of the blood is brownish given the higher proportion of plasma and concentration of metal ions. On the cellular side, there are erythrocytes, which in addition to hemoglobin for binding oxygen, display several complexes capable of binding copper ions. It's not clear what role these copper ions play, but we believe it neutralizes blood ammonia, among other things. Several cell types with leukocyte characteristics have been observed, but in comprehensive knowledge of them exists, platelets are present, but in smaller proportions than in humans. excreto sudorifous system. This system is completely different from what I've seen. As mentioned earlier, there are no large orifices, like an anus or urethra, to get rid of biological waste. Instead, there are countless small pores on the surface of the skin. There is a large medical organ called the hypertereal organ, which acts as both a kidney and a liver, returning blood to the heart, and is central in maintaining homeostasis. The organ is highly vascularized, and its blood must pass through it before returning back to its heart. Its role is, among other things, to purify the blood of metallic waste. Waste is excreted into the equivalent of a ureter, which branches out into four. Each branch flows towards one of the four limbs, and in turn, these branches divide until they are up as thousands of excretory pores. The mortality of this excretory system is mediated by a weak peristalsis at the proximal level and of the four main branches, peristalsis cease around the first distal junction. As there is no urea cycle, the ammonia concentrated at the exit of the hypothelial organ is very high. This ammonia is carried to the pores and given to the stinct odor, as I mentioned earlier. The rationale behind this unusual excretory system is directly related to the excreted ammonia, which enables thermoregulation by evaporating on the skin's surface. The greater the physical effort, the greater the metabolism. This, in turn, leads to a rise in temperature and a corresponding increase in metabolic waste via ammonia and catabolism. This leads to an increase in filtration and ammonia excretion, which ultimately lowers body temperature. 
Digestive system. The digestive system is extremely underdeveloped. There is no stomach in the familiar sense. However, there is a pseudo-stomach located at the transition between the thoracic and abdominal cavities. This organ is not involved in digestion and only serves as a reservoir. A sphincter controls the flow of fl- food into the intestine. The intestine is limited to the equivalent of our small intestine, i.e. it only serves to absorb liquids and nutritions and acts as the main digestion site. It has villi and microvilli like ours. The intestine ends in the hypotonal renal organ, which means digested matter is transported to the ureter and excretory system. Residues are dissolved in the ammonia of metabolic waste for excretion. There are no organs near the pseudosymmetrical sphincter that increases digestive enzymes directly into the intestines. The organ is inspirationally called the digestive organ. It secretes mainly potriolic enzymes and glycosides hydrosis. Given the absence of teeth, the narrowness of rigidity in the esophagus, the absence of a true stomach, and the absence of defecation, it is strongly believed the EBOs can only be consumed food in a liquid form. It is assumed that given the high metabolic needs of their brains, this food will also have high carbohydrate concentrates. In order to maintain other metabolic needs, there must also be high protein content in the food consumed. These two statements are supported by the type of enzyme secreted by the digestive organ. It is therefore speculated that the food consumed is a sort of both enriched, a broth rich in sugar and protein, which probably also has a high copper content. Given the strict limitations on the type of food that they can consume, it is unlikely that this type of creature could survive in the biosphere without technological support. Endocrine systems. Knowledge of the endocrine system was minimal. We know that cells are receptive to bovine growth hormones. It is also assumed that certain functions are regulated by such a system. Endocrine mechanisms are very complex, and it goes without saying that they are best studied on living subjects. Immune systems. The immune system is another another unknown. There seems to be an innate immune system, but there doesn't seem to be an adaptive immunity, at least not similar to what is known. There is a thymus-like organ near the heart that's proportionally larger than in humans. The organ seems to be where all blood cells mature. Some cells have leukocyte characteristics such as granularity. The immune cells that germinate here have a high copper concentration. The surface receptors of innate immune cells have have not yet been characterized, as we might as well say that all work remains to be done. Nervous system. The nervous system is also relatively similar. The spinal cord begins at the base of the central lobe of the brain and propagates down the vertebral column. In the vertebra, there are ganglia made of afferent and efferent neurons. In short, other than the CNS, there is nothing out of the ordinary. Musculoskeletal systems. The musculoskeletal systems are very ordinary, albeit underdeveloped. Most of the human skeletal muscles have an equivalent. Only the hands, feet, and forearms are different. It should be noted that the proportions of type 1 and type 2 muscles fibers is different from that in a human. Indeed, type 1 outnumbers type 2 by about a factor of 10. Artificial systems. We speculate that artificial molecular machines may be present in the body and that copper, if present, would be essential in their function or assembly. Importantly, no AMMs have been observed. And that is it. That is the post. And like I said, the author of that post was suspended immediately after making that post leaving the question and answer part to be um, unfulfilled but there is that edited note 
that he was able to make before saying that his comments were in fact being deleted and that he was trying to make another post answering the comments and questions, you know, I guess before he was, he was suspended before the, the moderators finally caught up to him. Um, so even after he had actively posted this immediately, he was, he was censored. He wasn't allowed to post again. He was probably put under, um, you know, observation, and then once they saw that it was real, once they had read and reviewed the article, the word had got down from the big tech Silicon moderators and said, yeah, kill it, kill his, uh, kill his, um, account, you know, kill his Reddit account, uh, make sure he can't post it again, make sure he can't comment, make sure that, yeah, it's, it's suspend him, you know, off the device. And people had screenshotted that article Reddit has an archive system in some of the forums, and while they can eventually delete that article, and I believe they have, in fact, deleted it now, uh, what goes on Reddit once kind of lives on Reddit forever, especially in these days where people know that threads get deleted and moderators are drunk in power and stuff like that, and that the whole thing is just a, an entire scam and bullshit to try to get people to um, have to submit to the New World Order's uh, thought policing and censorship, et cetera, through the version of these tyrannical um, faggot fucking mods and shit like that. That's why I don't use Reddit, to be honest. I mean, I'm on Reddit. I have my UFO podcast uh, channel, not only for my needs, but other UFO podcasters are welcome to use it and post material, post uh, advertising their own podcast, et cetera. Absolutely. It's on Reddit. It's UFO podcast. You can look up Beyond Top Secret Texan as like a thing on Reddit, and it's mostly all there. Um, it's UFO slash UFO podcasts. That's that slash UFO podcasts. Uh, it's the Reddit page. Uh, I don't use it. I don't even read it, but this was brought onto the chans and I saw it immediately. I scooped it up and, uh, brought it to you. Like I said, this was released on July 7th, 2023, which was earlier when I'm broadcasting this today. So this is extremely new information. Um, I know you'll be listening to this at some point in the future, however proximate it is to the date of this release, but know that this was July 7th, same day it was released, same day I recorded this. Thank you all very much for listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast of the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. Thank you very much. God bless you and your families. Peace out.